Hello, friends. I'm Renee. I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today we have a guest, a very special guest. Elizabeth from the BookTube channel Books and Pieces is going to join us to talk to us about all things books and BookTube and a bunch of other cool stuff. We're really excited to have her on the show. So excited. So let's go ahead and get into it. Today we are with Elizabeth from the excellent YouTube channel, Books and Pieces. Elizabeth is a booktuber and she's on Twitter and she's a critic and she's super great and we're so happy to have her with us. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. We met in real life a couple of times at Nine Worlds, right? Yes, very briefly at Nine Worlds uh, last year and then this year as well. Yeah. So we brought Elizabeth on to talk uh, about a lot of different things. We're very curious about BookTube. But first, there was a panel at Nine Worlds. You're going to steal my question. <laughs> I stole it. Yes, I did, Anna. I stole it because oh I've got gosh. to know. <laughs> there was a panel at Nine Worlds. I have no clue. I was not there. I just heard it secondhand as the BookTube community on Twitter kind of imploded. We, we had a little rage. Yes. This is a thing that crops up every time there's a new community. When book blogging started, there was a lot of people that were like, oh, these bloggers are just in it for the swag and the money. P.S. There's no money in this for like the lucky 1% maybe, but otherwise no. Yeah. And especially at like a mostly sci-fi fantasy fandom, you know, geeky community thing. Where do you think the money is? Exactly. So you were at this panel. I was, I was, Can yes. Can you give me some context So what happened? <laughs> I can't remember what the original question was from the audience, but it was very long and rambling and leading. Like the person who asked it obviously had something against booktube or bloggers or some people making money. It's that same thing, like you just said about there's this new community and there's all these rumors flying around that people are making money from it and it makes people very uncomfortable. And I remember thinking that the question felt very leading. And then the person who answered talked about how, you know, if he wanted to make money, just had to make videos about specific topics um, and that was all you had to do and it wasn't it you know ridiculous and they were just very derogatory towards video making and video reviews in general and he did that but in a hand wavy kind of way he was just talking about it and then he just threw it out there oh you know those booktubers is just they are just in it for the money I don't think he thought that he was being negative or that he was being accusatory or attacking booktubers he was just how the way that he sees these things right yeah and it was kind of almost telling afterwards where we had a conversation with the person and and chatted about it and they were like oh I didn't mean it like that I didn't mean it like that and it was like yes but you said it like that you obviously do kind of think it and he kept focusing on the money like this these fortunes that we were all making and clearly you know we could focus on which posts made more money and what we were doing for the money and I just wanted like I just wanted to say like did this not happen to you when you were a blogger people did they must have said the same things to you what you're telling us is that you are not rich <laughs> I am certainly not rich no no I have 9,000 subscribers and I make well I mean I think my YouTube revenue is like I've once made about 40 pounds or 60 pounds I can't remember what the payout thing is but I've hit it once and it's paid out and you can get like ad partnerships or whatever um, just in the same way you would from a blog you can get advertising revenue but it's not you're not going to make a living off it until you're getting the millions and millions of subscribers and that level is constantly going down as more and more people go on to YouTube as subscriber counts get diluted and go down and also as YouTube brings in these new rules about what is allowed to count as a video that will be allowed in AdWords and things like that. 
So we all work a lot. Yeah, we put a lot of effort into making a video. The number of hours you put in, the equipment that you need to have, you know, a computer and a camera and all that sort of stuff. You're putting in a lot more money than you're getting out. You you couldn't add it up and break even. So in many ways, it's just like blogging. Yeah, it's just like blogging. How long does it take you to produce just one video? Like, not a review, but Friday Reads or a haul video where you talk about the books you've bought. How long does that take to go from, like, idea to upload? Uh, A very simple one, like Friday Reads in a haul that you just said, where you don't really need to prepare anything ahead of time other than have the books that you're going to talk about can be quite quick in relative terms. You would have, you've got to make sure that you look the way you want to look. Then you need to set up your room and your cameras and any other equipment like lights, film it, and then import it, edit it, do all the links and things, the picture, a few hours, I would say, two or three hours minimum. Um, And then anything more complex is exponentially much longer. Is that long? Is that long comparatively? I mean, I I don't have a lot of frame of reference. I tried blogging, but it, it was hard. Oh, that was actually one of one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. So why booktubing and not blogging? I tried blogs when I was a kid and when I was a teenager and stuff and failed miserably at it and it never really gripped me in any way Um, but I started watching YouTube videos I was always really excited by it I like the technology side of things the actual having to learn how to edit video and use cameras and all kinds of fun stuff like that I got really into watching the Vlogbrothers and other kind of like famous YouTubers and I watched them for years and years and then just one day thought I'll give it a go and so I did and it was terrible and I've hidden all of those videos Mm. uh, on a different channel, but it just kind of made me think, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. I I want like a proper camera rather than a webcam and I could sit down and do it. And it just felt more natural, but also like it feels like a performance at first, but then you come to get used to it in the same way. I guess you get used to writing a lot. And like I said, I enjoy the technology and the interaction and it just feels very It feels like a conversation in a way that a text platform like a blog doesn't or doesn't at the moment for me because you you get so much more interaction. How many comments do you get per video? Uh, It depends on the video. If there's something to be commented on or if I ask a specific question, it can be, you know, 100 or something. Uh, or a couple hundred but if it's just something simple then you know 40 50 maybe but it depends if you offer a question that to be answered by people but you'll always get quite a few that's amazing that's much more than any blogs are getting <laughs> right now <laughs> we get really excited when we get like two comments at the beginning of the book smugglers we used to get like 40 20 30 sometimes 100 depending on what if it was a negative review but now it's very rare that we get more than two, three. It's just like at the moment, the conversation on YouTube tends to stay within YouTube, where on blogs and things, it feels like the authors are more present elsewhere and you can have a better conversational thing. And there's that whole thing of don't read the comments, don't read the comments, they're scary. And on blogs, that feels like much more relevant, whereas YouTube especially the book area of YouTube is quite controlled. People are very good about community building and being careful with what is allowed to be posted and whatever. I mean, some people, it depends on the the individual channel, but there is a lot of interaction going on and people talk to each other, talk to other YouTube makers. Like we have our own little community. We talk to each other, we make friends. And I don't know, I just always felt like the people there were more present than I got when I read blogs. You have booktubers. Would you think that that's a separate community from book blogging or from SFF community or from the YA community? Is it a community in itself? I think everybody has their overlapping circles of community. So I have, you know, one foot in what I would call the SFF community and one in booktube but 
that's not to say they don't overlap significantly. Like there's huge numbers of people who are involved in both, but there are also huge numbers of people who have very little or no idea that the other one exists, even if they love my channel that's mostly about SFF. They don't get involved in conventions or other blogs or anything like that. And vice versa, there's people in the SFF community who have no idea that YouTube has this huge book area of people. Um, like just in the way that you would say the SFF community, you can call it that very generally, but to call it one community, to call, to try and define somebody generally by any characteristic applied across the whole thing is ridiculous. You know, there are so, so many different people, such differences of opinion and practice and, you know, whatever politics, uh, thoughts, writing, everything is so different across that community. And it's the same within BookTube. We have very, very different people on there. I want to go back to something that you said earlier when you were talking about yeah. filming videos. You have to make sure you look the right way. Yeah. Are beauty standards an issue in the BookTube community with videos? Is that something that people worry about? Because I know that the internet can be just a really mean place to women. It can be something that comes up. But I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is that there is a stereotype and people do stereotype even within the BookTube thing. And they say it's just teenage girls with red lipstick sitting in front of perfect white Ikea shelves with fairy lights. And they talk about YA fiction. And so their, their looks come into it. They have, you know, perfect hair, white girls, red lipstick. Why the hell their appearance comes into it, it shouldn't. But this is a visual medium, so you can see people. So it does get judged more than I guess it would on other things. The other day I did do a video without makeup on for the first time, I think, ever. Uh, and I said in the video, oh, sorry, I'm not wearing makeup without really thinking about it. And people commented, oh, you shouldn't feel like you have to wear makeup. You look beautiful. And I'm like, yes, thank you. But I wear the makeup because I want to. I Like when I've said about getting ready, I want to make sure I look the way I want to present myself. And that's the same in the way I pick my clothes and the angle of my camera and, you know, the way I put my hair up or whatever. It's the way I'm presenting myself to the world as that channel. It's not necessarily like defining who I am and all that. Like there is a difference between who you are in real life and who you are on camera or in the videos to people who watch. They're seeing a very edited five minutes of your day as opposed to who you are so I guess judging your appearance by that five minutes is difficult plus if you want to wear makeup why shouldn't you exactly and it's like sometimes I wear like you know the bright lipstick and sometimes I don't it's not something I necessarily do all the time and it's just uh, it's just an enjoyable play and there are booktubers who wear amazing makeup and they get comments about that all the time but I don't know if that necessarily affects their views. Across a lot of videos, I guess, girls who do look more typically attractive with lots of makeup and whatever do have a sort of skew of the views. But that's kind of hard to say. And I have no statistics to back that up other than in beauty and maybe like ASMR has a bit of a reputation for that. But outside of that, I couldn't say I have no statistics. I'm just really curious about this fairy light thing. I watch <laughs> a lot of booktubers and I haven't really seen any fairy lights. Where are I think maybe lights? that was a few years ago, but... I'm... Neither have I. And I actually have white bookshelves and now I'm thinking that I should totally get fairy lights for them. And fairy lights not, are beautiful. You're not a booktuber. <laughs> Yet. Well, well, but, well, yeah, but for myself. I want if one lights. day we record our podcast live with video... I'll be prepared because I'm white and I will be wearing lipstick. You'll be glowing and perfect. When you're watching yourself for like a good hour or so of footage, you know, and editing yourself down, you become aware of exactly how you look and how you move in a way that you had no idea about before. I'm sure doing this podcast, you've become aware of like nuances of voice and, you know, how you talk in a way that you didn't know before. And it's the same on video. And you you adjust that to appear the way you want to, to talk the way you want to, to get your point across. Or, you know, sometimes people people do their makeup to match with a particular book. You know, I, I one episode, I was really pleased because my nail varnish was the same color as the book cover. And I was just like, look, I match so well. Oh, my God, but that's so true. I wish I could sound better than I do. Although Renee does good work 
work and make me sound better than I do when we're recording. You sound fine. I always thought your podcast sounded really good. You see, Anna, I told you. I told you. Talking about this, it made me think of something that it's similar. And whenever someone, for example, talks about going to conventions and they list things like make sure to wear comfortable shoes and comfortable clothes And I am like that. I wear comfortable shoes and comfortable clothes. But I know a couple of people who do conventions. Thea is one of them who likes to walk around in conventions in high heels. And she's very proud of the fact that she loves to wear high heels when she goes to cons because that's what she feels comfortable in. So comfortable is also something that is very relative. Yeah, exactly. I wore high heels throughout the whole of Nine Worlds this year because the boots I had, I really loved and they were comfortable. It just works for me. That's what I wanted to look like, what I wanted to wear. Works for me. Meanwhile, I look like zombie soccer mom. (laughs) What is even that? That's that's my aesthetic, zombie soccer mom. I don't even know what that visual is. Just, I, I don't I know. I Google, Google soccer mom. Like I don't. I'm just so. I'm just really bad at like fashion, makeup. What's that? I know what it is. It's expensive. Which and that's really one of the things that kept me away from YouTube a long time ago when the Five Awesome Girls channel was around. Me and some friends were going to start a YouTube channel, but I was too self conscious. The booktube community, specifically for me, is heavily female. I don't follow a lot of men that are doing this. I think maybe one. And that's uh, SFF180. Yeah, Thomas. He's great. So I follow one male booktuber. But even even back then when we were thinking about doing it, we were just like, what if people are mean to us? I've got to say, I haven't seen a, a heap of like comments about people's looks, um, maybe about the way that their cameras are angled or something. But you do start out absolutely completely paranoid about how you look like when you're filming. I did. I was completely freaked out by it. You know, you start noticing all these details about how your face looks and whatever. But I've never gained so much confidence about the way I look than by being on camera all the time. And and other people have commented on it. I think it was um, Whitney from her channel's Witty Novels. She mentioned it on Twitter once, like months and months ago, how before she would you only saw a few pictures of yourself. So you wanted them to be absolutely gorgeous. But now you see yourself all the time and, you know, it doesn't matter. You get caught in funny faces and they're hilarious. And that's great. So it can be the other way. It can it can actually help you with how you look. So in many ways, it's liberating. Yeah, because you get to know that, yeah, sometimes you make funny faces, but so does anybody who, <laughs> whose face moves, so shockingly enough. So Renee was talking about before how at the beginning of book blogging, we got a lot of flack and we got a lot of criticisms and people just looked down on us. Do you get that a lot with BookTube? I know that, for example, there's a lot of people who go on and on and on about the book haul videos. And I actually really love them. And as a book blogger with a blog, I sometimes do a book haul. I take pictures of books that I receive and post on Twitter, on Instagram all the time. I find as a reader that they are useful to me. I like seeing them. As a blogger, I think that readers do actually like them. Obviously, you do those videos, Mm -hmm. so you don't have a problem with that. But how do the wider community see those criticisms? It comes up a lot in conversation within BookTube and about BookTube from the outside. And it's an easy, I feel like it's an easy criticism to make because Yes, those videos feel like they don't have to be researched. People just, you know, the more books you have, the bigger your haul is, the more people will watch. But actually, after a while, that's not really the case. And when you start digging into them, uh, they can be done differently. And with any video, it's quality over quantity, I feel like. But yeah, like you're saying about, about them, I find them really valuable as a viewer. What I want is to know what's out there. I feel like what you're offering is not um, necessarily like this is the best book. I'm never going to be able to tell you what's the best book. I can tell you some books I have liked and I can tell you some books I intend to read that I think sound good based on my experience and the things I am buying and acquiring and 
being sent are some of those things. And that can be an incredibly valuable service service in an age when we have unlimited information. You could go to Amazon and millions of book websites and find out all the books that are coming out ever. But if you know someone's got similar tastes to you or is focused in a specific area or genre like that you happen to like, then seeing what they've acquired can be pretty interesting because they might have seen things that you haven't. We do this for free, most of us. And I continue to wonder with every new community, every new style of book discussion, why people continue to target us with this idea that we're doing books wrong. It's something that I thought about a lot at that panel where the whole booktuber stuff came up because it was about book reviewing and everybody who was on the panel did text reviews. They had blogs of varying like types. They kept talking about book reviewing, how they reviewed books, how they wrote reviews, how long the reviews were. And I just sort of started thinking like this is the only way that is seen as like legitimately interacting with books is to review them. But actually, we talk about them in so many different ways. And that's like reviewing books is not how I like to talk about them. I talk a little bit about my experience with each book I read. But that's more the way I think about it is my experience, my thoughts and feelings about a book or things I've acquired or things I'm having fun with or how different books apply to certain themes or thoughts I've been having. Um, The review is something that I don't particularly find value or enjoy as a reader for most of the time about specific books I might. But what I like the rest of the time is how other people are enjoying books or interacting with them. And it makes it very hard when the language we talk about is by calling people book reviewers. And that's the only word we have. That's a conversation that happens all the time as well, isn't it? It's the how do you make book reviewing a legitimate thing? It only happens if you are a critic, if you are writing a critique of a book, an in-depth one. If you're not doing that, then you are a PR psychopath. Yeah, because we only have that word for it. It's it's seen that the other ways that you do things aren't as valid. What booktubers do reminds me a lot of what librarians do. Yeah, it's kind of a curation, I guess. Also, book talks, because I have known many librarians in my life. I know many now. They talk about books in not reviewing terms, but they key it to whatever audience they're speaking to. And so when I think of booktubers, I think that they're doing book talks instead of book reviews. And I don't know how accurate this is, and I don't know if booktubers have compared themselves to librarians... But it's basically how I've treated BookTube and all the videos I watch. I just go into them like they're book talks. And I I mean, for some BookTubers, that can be. That's definitely how I would approach it more, maybe because I used to be a librarian. But for some BookTubers, they do do reviews and lots of viewers really enjoy them. And that's the channels that they watch. Um, And people do do like what I would consider to be like a straight up review. um, And they critique the book and they... They take great pride and care in in doing what I would consider to be like a relatively academic sort of look into what the book is about and what that meant and all that sort of stuff. But other people, yeah, they're just talking about books, books you might enjoy, books you might not enjoy. Both ways are, are different and valid. And I think it's good to be able to have different terms for them. Also, I am a little suspicious about this idea that like, text reviews where their origin is in text and not words are somehow more valid? I think it's just because it came first, it came from the old way of reviewing books in like a newspaper or a magazine or a, you know, a proper book review journal, as it were. Like, And so book bloggers faced the same thing that booktubers faced, which was a question of their validity as reviewers. And so they provide these excellent reviews and the question has gone that, you know, absolutely, they're an integral and important part of publishing and marketing and the way that we interact and as fans and readers. And then BookTube has faced the same thing. Um, And not all blogs do like the full review thing, but it's 
you know, the, the way of blogging, the format of it has become part of that. And the formats that are used by videos will become part of that. But because of the medium, each thing can offer different stuff than the one before. And it's interesting that it goes around in circles, right? This co- the same conversations happen and it just moves from one place to the other, from one medium to the other. But we're always going back to the same point. Well, look at the communities. They are mostly women. So, of course, they do. No, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> right. You talked about marketing and publicity. How do you interact with publishers, for example? Do you get pitched a lot of books? Do you get, do you get sent a lot of books? Uh, yeah, I get sent books like each month. I usually end up with a pile of, of a few. I don't know. I don't know how many everybody else gets. Thomas from SF180 is, is a good example because he's been reviewing stuff on a blog for years, over a decade, I think. And he gets a stack every week and does a video every week showing what he's been sent. Um, I tend to do one a month. I guess that's the comparative estimate. And I get offered more than I accept. I get offered from what I would call the mainstream big publishers. um, And I'll generally like some will just send me whatever they're publishing or whatever they think I want. um, And some will actually ask me on individual titles and I will refuse nine out of 10 offers, I would say. Do you, what kind of expectations are publishers showing with regards to booktubers in terms of what do they expect you to do? And in turn, how do you see those expectations? I think the standard is a, we can offer you this book in exchange for an honest review. That's the, that's the most standard sort of text you're going to get in an email. You know, do you, do you like the sound of it? Would you be willing to review it? So like I said, it comes down to that word review. And I, if I'm going to think about accepting a book, I will always email back and say, I cannot guarantee I will review anything. It's not something I do a lot. Videos that are just a book review, like for one book, get significantly lower views. So it's not as good for your book or for me. Um, but I will tell them what I'll offer. And there's always links to my channel so they can see the type of video that's on offer. Um, I just say, like, I'll include it in a list of whatever I've got. If and when I read it, it will be in this type of video and may appear in future videos about particular topics or whatever. But I'll never I'll never guarantee anything. And I try and make that explicit because I think I think they're just, you know, if they've been working in the industry for a while, they're used to dealing with typical like review blogs where that's what's going to happen or Goodreads, where the expectation is that you will just provide a review. And that's not something that I really can offer because it's not something I do a lot. And I don't get like heaps and heaps of stuff, but I do find that people talk about, will you review it? And I get a lot of like uh, standard emails after I've been sent a book saying, you should now have this book. Do you have any plans to review it? And they don't mean review. They mean, do you have any plans to put it in a video? But they've got a standard text and that's what you get. I just ignore those. Yeah, most of the time, that's what I do. I, I ignore those. If I accept anything, it's, there is no expectation whatsoever. There shouldn't yeah. be any expectation whatsoever from anybody. I think most publicists are savvy enough to understand that. Yeah, and I think they, they understand that if they respond to you like that, then you it might like make you, remind you or whatever. It's just a, you know, a tickler in your brain yeah. to say like, oh, don't forget this book. And that, that's what I take it as and that's what I'll treat it as. But um yeah, it will always, almost always say review. You get the odd one, but it tends to be from some smaller ones or where it, you're dealing directly with an author or a particularly, I find like a particularly good marketing person personalizes things, I think. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. All the publishers I've, I work with personally that will like talk to me and treat me like a person are the publishers that I work with more regularly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I have one more question before okay. we start wrapping up. Right now, the booktube community and the book blogging community, even though the poor book blogging community is kind of, you know, drying up as everybody goes to paid positions on publisher sites, they seem sort of far apart now. Do you see a scenario in which the textbook bloggers and booktubers can come together um, and form their own little community of, or support system? Or do you think that that time has passed? 
I think in ways it's already happening. There are people who cross the boundary in between and do both. And there are, you know, lots of people who are doing little bits in multiple places. And even just saying text bloggers and then like YouTubers, there's also Tumblr and Instagram and do people who just purely do Goodreads reviews. And it's crazy. Like there's people doing all kinds of reviewing and book I don't know reactions all over the place and people crossing those boundaries so I think there is there are ways that it is coming together and I think we're all people who are doing this for free Um, so you know there's a lot in common there and there are many issues that we're gonna come across together so I think you know places where that interaction can happen actually would be probably quite valuable to both sides of the community where people can talk about the same issues. Because at the moment, people go to VidCon or they go to, I don't know, if they're blog conferences, I assume. Um, And then people go to the book events, but not necessarily know each other. And maybe there isn't a space where both will be put onto a panel or brought in to talk about something. So like review panels at conventions at the moment do tend to be bloggers um, and then... I was on one at Nine Worlds last year, but we were talking about new media, about podcasting and vlogging got brought into that. But we were we didn't cross over with book reviewers from blogs um, and why the three could not have been brought together. Like that didn't make any sense to me. There are parts where we're different in terms of what tech we need, but there are a lot of things where we're the same in terms of dealing with publishers and privacy and um, promoting things and stuff we want to talk about and what we can do um, so yeah I think I think spaces where we can come together is an important thing why why is she saying is that we should start something no that kind of ties into my question do you have any ideas of things that might connect text bloggers and booktubers we do like lots of like tag videos and um like community events and things that can and sometimes do cross over between the two the friday reads thing i think was like a twitter or blog thing originally you know people can interact across those and across things like own voices october um the booktubeathon um happens but there's no reason why it has to stick to booktube uh, it can go wider so i think events and causes that cross the boundaries are good places and also at these bookish conventions to have panels that bring people together because we're all reviewing we're all talking about books if you know people who are listening deal with the programming at things kind of talking to myself here possibly um then you know do some panels where you get a blogger and a podcaster and a booktuber and maybe even somebody who does instagram or snapchat or whatever the scary new media is oh my god i tried to start a book smuggler snapchat and i was like how does it even work i don't know i have no idea i'm an old i I don't understand it i tried i i quite liked it for a while but i do now tend to use instagram stories more than i use snapchat what's instagram stories it's basically snapchat within instagram Anna got really quiet. When she gets quiet, I think everybody's gone. Because I'm now on Instagram. <laughs> oh, Anna, get off Instagram. You can do that later. Sorry. <laughs> there are some really good book Instagrams, and they do, like, long text posts underneath with thoughts on the books, which I find quite impressive. Jeez. Book reviews everywhere. <laughs> I'm an old with my blog on Dreamworks. You'll have to start periscoping next. I have Periscope. I've used Periscope a few times, but not with for me, but like stuff I'm doing. I got Periscope and I should have used it at Worldcon and I didn't and I'm a moron because I can't go to Helsinki unless somebody wants to give me a $2,000 and then I can't, but I don't think anybody's going to give me $2,000. So, Well, I just volunteered and I got an email saying, did I want to be on the programming thing? And I was like, yes. Which brings (laughs) me to my last question. How do you feel about the Hugo Awards? I mean, we couldn't have you here or any any guests in our podcast without asking something about the Hugo Awards, as you know. Yes. I I have many feelings about the Hugo Awards. Oh, great. <laughs> They're wonderful and terrible and messed up and lovely and all the things at the same time. I loved them when I went to LonCon and I got to join in and it was so much fun and such a like joyful community thing. And then the year after watching all of the 
puppy stuff was just god it was so bleak um because i was there at the announce not not there at the announcement but they announced live over the eastercon weekend and i was at eastercon with everybody and oh my god the reaction in the room was just it was like somebody had died oh i wish i had been there but yeah and seeing it getting you know people reacting and making sure that that, that it didn't get taken over was great um, and it got better this year. But then the ways they're trying to fix it sometimes can feel very problematic and sometimes slow, but sometimes a bit too quick on the reaction. Like the way they're trying to create, correct for the uh, the slating with the, e- they've just voted in the E Pluribus Hugo uh, thing, which is going to change the way that your, your five votes go in. You get, it's really complicated. It can cause some problems. Um, and also the new oh, the new best series thing that's going to be a test vote in Helsinki, I hate it. Why? Because it's been designed specifically for long epic fantasy series. If you look at the thing, it's got to be at least three books that are novels, um, but also has to be a minimum of 240,000 words. Well, a Hugo novel is 40,000 words minimum, which makes it actually six books so either they are designing this to exclude trilogies or they're designing it for very long books or very long series which normally only dudes get to do yeah so basically Mm. ursula le guin's hainish cycle would never have been able to be nominated for this i don't think if you if I, I was trying to do the maths on like rough word counts, but some of those books in that series were like 100 pages. They barely classify in the best novel section, which would mean they would never hit that word count. I love the concept, but I think they need, if they're doing it on three novels, then it has to drop down to 120,000 words. It has, yeah. They have to match their maths. Maybe it was a, maybe I was reading a wrong thing. Maybe they've caught that and corrected it, but Either you include trilogies because they are legitimate series, yeah, or you're going for long series and you exclude that. But given that the trilogy is a mainstay, then yeah. Who writes more than trilogies these days? Dudes. Dudes, white (laughs) dudes. But you know, it's like you could predict the winners for the next two, three years. Mm. You know, if Brandon Sanderson's got anything in one of his series coming out, that will win. Or, you know, the new Brent Weeks novel just came out and it's like, I don't even know, it's, it weighs substantial numbers of pounds. I just got it. And um, it's the fifth book in a series. So, you know, maybe that would be in there and, and things like that, like people who are already well-known names. Game, it's, it's designed so that Robert Jordan series that got in for the Hugo nomination for best novel, even though it was like the last one in a series of 12 it feels like it was just kind of came in for that because people want to give these things a prize and absolutely they deserve some kind of recognition because it's hard for something later in a series to get the best novel Hugo. But excluding shorter works is not the way to go. No, absolutely. Well, now that we've expressed some feelings about the Hugos, which is apparently uh, our brand... Elizabeth, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube as Books and Pieces. So it's youtube.com forward slash user forward slash books and pieces. Um, and also on Twitter at books underscore pieces. Okay, Elizabeth, really quick before we go, um, we have some, like, fast questions to ask you. Okay. Uh, listeners submitted questions to you. You are very, you were a very popular guest, and everybody wanted to know what you thought about things. Oh, okay. Thank you. So the demographically similar Jennies want to know sea or space? Space. I hope the Jennies are not disappointed by the answer. I don't know what was the right answer with that one. I, I don't know. I feel like space, space is, is, like, more fun stories in space. The sea has a bottom, and it's scary, and you drown. It's got dark. Space is dark too, and 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 you get like <laughs> disconnected from space. things. You you can just float in space forever by yourself in the dark and complete silence. 
That's true. There's fish in sp- in 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 space in the sea. I don't know. I would hope I wouldn't end up in space until there was a good infrastructure for getting around. Whereas the sea is currently like accessible. Fair enough. What is your favorite imaginary creature? The foot placer. It's a poem, and I can't remember the author, but it's in a collection about um, the underground in London. And it's an imaginary creature that lives in kind of like the upside down. If you think like Stranger Things, it lives, it places its feet where you place your feet and walks along with you as you walk through the underground in London. Wow. It's a fantastic poem, and if I can find a link to it, I will send it to you guys so you can send it to everybody, because yes. I think all people should read it. So, after that dark question, what would your Patronus be? A jackdaw, which is like a crow, um, so it's like a like a black bird, except I don't think it would be one, I think it would be a bunch, because you never see them one at a time, so I think it would be weird if it was just one of them. They, they tend to like lurk in little packs and they're very cute, but also kind of ominous, which is what I like to think I could be. And somebody sent us a question that asked three drunken reading tipples. Number one, I don't know what the word tipples means. I'm going to assume you know what the <laughs> word tipples means. It's an alcoholic drink. Okay. I don't know what they uh, want to know here. No. It's like beer, beer, some more beer. Um, would be the answer unless you want like really specific like makes of beer do you want specific makes of beer um, i do are you a Um, lager or a bitter type of person i am a a pale ale like craft beer kind of person so i like um the one i was drinking in my recent video which was tiny rebels foo bar and i like stuff by brewdog and things by um, the Wild Beer Co. and all kinds of um, craft breweries, basically, and American and New Zealand pale ales are my definite drinks of choice. And Ginny wants to know, which is, this is a hard question. We're going to end on the hard one because that's how. Oh, no. What was your favorite book at age eight, age 16, and now in this very moment? I'm going to have to guess on the age eight because I can't remember exactly, but probably the Swiss family Robinson, I would guess. I loved that book when I was a kid and I reread it a bunch of times, even though I was mostly into stuff about ponies. I really, really loved the Swiss family Robinson. Something about like setting up your own house from scratch on an island was just really appealing somehow. Um, At 16, I really don't know. I don't remember. I can't even remember the stuff that was out when I was 16. Like, but Whatever it was, it was better than mine, which was, I think, The Eye of the World. Oh, I did read a lot of epic fantasy when I was like 15 or 16. So it may well have been something like uh, Maggie Fury or Catherine Kerr. They were both like, you know, epic fantasy favorites. Robin Hobb as well was definitely coming out around that sort of era. So probably something like that. And now my favorite book, I always say, is Ancillary Justice. That book was, like, life-changingly good. I love it with all my tiny little heart feelings. It's just completely precious to me, um, and I love it. It's a great choice. We really like you, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. I really (laughs) like you, too. to wrap up we are going to do recommendations Anna what do you got for us this week I am torn do I go with a boring recommendation from a TV show that everybody is watching and it's obvious what I would recommend should I save that for later or do I go with what my heart tells me to go go with your heart Anna I'm going to go with my heart I'll recommend for everybody to do some meditation be calm and drink Lots of sleepy time tea during the day because we are in the last month of the election period in the United States. And it's possible, although I hope unlikely, that Donald Trump will become 
the president of the world because we all know that the president of the United States is often the president of the world because everything the United States do, like we all suffer, right? So and someone like Donald Trump, <laughs> it's a plague upon the entire world. <laughs> and maybe even the universe. Right now, aliens in the future are trying to come back to change brains. I can tell deep in my heart that this is happening. Like, Time travel. If he doesn't win, it's possible that time travel was invented into the future because he won and then people came back to change things. So this basically your recommendation this week is for Americans to go vote. To go vote. (laughs) For the rest of us to remain calm and hope that things will not go to shit. Let's hope. That's my recommendation. Good job, Anna. You're welcome. And go vote. But not for Donald Trump. Just, just putting out there to make things very, very clear where I stand. Okay, Elizabeth, what do you have for us? <laughs> well, I was going to talk about calming things for the election, but actually, I think I'll just add a little terror into everybody's lives. If you need a book that's going to really bring home the terrifying relevancy of voting and the horror of all of this overload of information that we're getting at the moment, uh, I thoroughly recommend Malka Alder's Infomocracy. Uh, I read it recently. It's a sort of near future, techy, um, computer oriented society where everybody lives in these like 100,000 strong communities known as sentinels and you have to vote for a leader or a party in your sentinel and uh, the reason that this works is a system called information where you can get information about anything so it's basically the internet and the story is all about looking at how information that we get is affected by the people that are giving it and how they think about it and how the way we package data affects what we vote for and what we think. And it's terrifyingly prescient, very, very relevant, and will make you think a lot. But yes, do, you know, then meditate a lot afterwards. I really need to read this book. Um, Just with the election coming up, and it's all about voting and the information that we get about the candidates and stuff and how we interact with that. And the way information is presented is not neutral. And yeah, it just makes you think about all the stuff you're seeing, which is why I now have filters on all of my social media. A good idea. Well, I guess I'm going to be the one who brings it back down to fandom level. (laughs) Well, guys, that was real cheerful. I'm going to wreck a fic that was written for me. It was a gift that somebody wrote for me because I had a hard week last week. It is called Should Be a Dream But I'm Not Sleepy by 70 Miles to Babylon. It is a Steve Tony story. It is basically a story where they huddle for warmth in an abandoned cabin and make out a lot. And that's it. That's it. That's the story. That's the end of the story. It's lovely. Well, that's definitely better than Donald Trump. So if you read the book that Elizabeth recommended and then you meditate and you need something to relax after meditation, you can read the story. It's really, it's really feel good and great. I highly recommend it. So thank you for coming on the show with us. It's been so nice to have you. Thank you. I'm, I hope I answered questions in a non-ridiculous way. I mean, listen, it's us and our podcast. So you did. <laughs> no, she did excellent. Yeah. So smart. So outspoken. So like, I don't even have words to describe what she was. That's how the opposite of her I am right now. Oh, <laughs> you are welcome back anytime. You want to well, I love, I love listening to your podcast, so it's been absolutely great. I find it really hard when we're starting out, like, doing the Magical Space Pussycats, not to just make it, like, stuff that you guys say and stuff that they say on Galactic Suburbia. Like, I want to give stuff space bees all the time. <laughs> we're okay with that. Let space bee be the new star. I agree. It, it, it's the best way of giving stars. It definitely is. Space bees. <laughs> and you were talking about cutting them in half and killing them. It just it made me feel really traumatized about giving stuff half stars. See, Anna, see. I know I'm guilty of that. But then I was like, maybe, maybe it's only like halfway out of the space beehive, and you just can't see the other half. That's a much nicer. <laughs> maybe it's just hiding. Me, I just go straight to ha- like dead space bee. God, what does that say about me? Well, that's banger happy hour brought to you by dead space bees. Oh, no, no, let's not talk of dead space beers. Beers. <laughs> see, 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 I really want a beer right now.
of this episode. Special thanks so much to Elizabeth from Books and Pieces on YouTube for joining us to let us ask her a bunch of questions. And also thanks to my darling co-host, Anna. Ah, Renee, thank you for being an awesome producer and for putting this together once again. Our music this week is by Boxcat Games and our instrumentals are by Cheap Music. Our super cool art was created by Ira and you can commission them on Tumblr at justira.tumblr.com. You can also look them up on Twitter at it's just Ira to get some cool art of your own. We'd really appreciate it if you drop by iTunes to leave us a review. They really do help more people discover us. If you need more of us between episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Pangora Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Renee. And I'm at Booksmugglers. And as always, Space Bees, thank you so much for listening. See you next episode. Bye. too heavy <sighs> duct tape duct tape is the answer <laughs> well this was this is gonna be a podcast of like everything taped together propped up duct, duct tape and two pencils is how my microphone is staying up that's amazing duct tape is good for everything once we had our toilet there was a leakage and russell used duct tape to fix it and it kind of like really did hold it until we could call a plumber to come in and i was like this is magical this is magical tape really indeed it is here's how magical duct tape actually is when i was growing up i had some friends who lived in a trailer and this is a very sad story i guess now that i'm telling it i'm so sorry (laughs) but they had a hole in their roof and the mom patched the hole with duct tape she got cereal boxes and cut the cereal boxes wrapped the cereal boxes in duct tape and then use those to patch the hole in the trailer roof i mean it makes sense that's what they do in like space movies and stuff and it held for like two weeks well there you go so duct tape magic this podcast is not sponsored by duct tape